Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages. This week, lead pastor Mike Yearly continues his seven-part series entitled The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And today he'll bring us the second message of this series entitled Consistent Fellowship, Big Church and Small Groups. Father, thank you so much for um, this chance to be here. An amazing day. Lord, it's so beautiful outside. And God, we're excited about this fresh day for our church, too. And what you're doing, Lord, all through this congregation. And, um, we just, every week hear the stories. It just, it's exciting to hear you moving. And, Lord, we're here today not because we're going through the motions, not because we're putting in our time or getting a notch on our belt. We're here because we believe that you have the words of life. And we're here to listen. We've got our listening ears on, and we're really ready to sit at your feet, hear what you have to say to us. Will you come and speak? That's our prayer. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series we started last week called uh, The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. Now, the whole point of this series is to ask the question, what does it really take to become a healthy church? Last week, we looked at the book of Revelation, the opening seven letters from Jesus to the seven churches, and we saw that Jesus has a specific message for every church that he leads, things he's happy with, things he's not happy with. What would he say to us here at Rocky Peak? And, and the whole point of this series is to go through and to look at some of the habits that I believe that the Scripture would teach, the Bible teaches, are essential for a healthy church. And so every week we're taking one of those. Last week, uh, first week out, we talked about the most important one, habit number one, pleasing God is our top priority in life. We talked about how every one of the other six habits all flow out of that one. Now, today... Uh, we're going to be talking about law number or uh, habit number two, consistent fellowship, which has to do with big church and small groups. Now, when I talk about big church, just for the purpose of this message, I'm talking about weekend weekend church. You're in big church right here, okay? So I don't mean big church as in the size of the congregation, but it's as opposed to small groups. And when I talk about small groups, I want to be really clear on this from the outset. I do not mean life groups, okay? Life groups are one form of a small group. They're probably the most prevalent form in our congregation that most of you will be involved in a small group. But I'm not saying that to be part of the company committee, you have to be in a life group. There might be another kind of small group. It might be a group of guys that get together on Thursday mornings at, uh, you know, some deli or something to kind of share what God's doing in their lives and hold each other accountable. Uh, it could be a three friends that get together once a week on a Friday night and just to pray together and to study God's way. It could, so it could be, uh, it could be a variety of different forms. What we're saying is that in order to be a healthy church, I really believe that as a congregation, we need to have consistent fellowship, both being here at the weekend uh, services and then also something going on in the rest of our lives where we're connecting with other people intentionally in small groups to grow together. Now, if you were here uh, last spring, in many ways, this message today is sort of a follow-up message to a message I did then on law number six. Remember, we did the uh, 11 laws to live by. And law number six was the law of relationships. And the bottom line of that law is it's impossible to become like Jesus on our own. That we can never uh, grow to our full potential by ourselves. We, We really need other people in our lives. We need other people who are challenging us. Other people who are... Uh, sharing the journey, uh, encouraging, taking care of, using their spiritual gifts to help us grow and vice versa. And so um, what we're going to do today is kind of do two things in this message. One is we're going to go uh, to the book of Hebrews in just a couple minutes. 
and talk about this theme of how important habit number two, consistent fellowship is for our walk with God if we want to stay on track spiritually. And then secondly, we're going to come back and try to get real practical and say, well, yeah, but when you're choosing a big church experience, when you're choosing a small group experience, what should you be looking for? Because I don't know about you, but I've been in a lot of big church experiences. I don't go out stoked up to follow God. I go out depressed, you know? And proud of you, probably you have been in churches like that, where you're just kind of like, wow, you know, you go to church and you come out more discouraged, you know, than, than encouraged. Um, and, or you may have been in a small group that, although you met regularly, it really didn't help you grow. And so it's not automatic. It's not automatic that going to a big church experience of small, produces growth. It has to be the right kind of experience. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about specifically, what do you look for in a big church experience? What do you look for in a small group experience? So let's jump in. There in your note sheet, the front page still, we're uh, staying on track spiritually, the letter to the, the Hebrew Christians. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And as you're doing that, let me set the stage. Um, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of young Jewish Christians. These are people who had grown up as Jews and they'd come to be convinced that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and they'd given their lives to him. But the result of that was that they were suffering intense persecution, and it was causing them to reconsider their choice. Maybe this following Jesus is not as all as I was cracked up to be. Maybe I need to give up on this Jesus thing because I can avoid the persecution. So the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you can't do that. That would be a tragic mistake, a mortal mistake. You'd be separated from God forever if you give up on Jesus. So you've got to hang in there. He's faithful. He will reward you. This will work out in the end. Hang in there. But in the process... A couple times in this book, he talks to about the, the important role that consistent fellowship plays in our life, habit number two, the role that habit number two plays in our life in terms of keeping us on track spiritually. So we're going to look at those passages, okay? The first one is in Hebrews 3, and it's in verse 12 and 13. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, that's exactly their temptation. Their temptation was to turn away from the living God because of the persecution that they were experiencing now as new followers of Christ. And he says, but instead, you need to encourage one another daily. I want you to underline that word daily, okay? We're going to come back to that. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's a really interesting statement. That's a really interesting phrase, sin's deceitfulness. See, one of the marks of sin in our lives is it's deceitful. In other words, sin almost always promises more than it can deliver. Uh, sin always writes checks that it can't cash. It, it, one, of the, one of the characteristics of sin is that it, it, it kind of paints a picture of the future. If you pursue me, this is how, what will life will be like. But it's deceitful. That's why it works. You think back in the Garden of Eden, the very first time that sin entered the world, and Eve, remember when she looked at the fruit, the Bible says that the fruit, it looked, um, it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good for fruit, or for food, and it was desirable to make her wise. And so it promised all these things to her. But of course, the, the result was death. It was more like a fairy tale where you eat the, the, the apple and then you, it's a poisonous apple, right? 
This is the way sin works. I like to go fishing. And I, I do some trout fishing up in the mountains. It's all about deceit. It's so great. It's the one time in my life I get to practice deceit. <laughs> Fishing's all about fooling the fish. See, he, he thinks he's a fish. I think he's a meal. We're working on this. And so what I do, I throw out some bait. The whole purpose of bait is deceit, right? It, it looks so good. It looks good for food. It looks pleasing to the eyes. <laughs> it looks desirable to make this fish so wise. And then first bite, right? And that's the way said is. And you and I, we're living in a world that is constantly making promises it can't keep. Pursue me. Do this. You'll be happy. Well, how do we stay on track? In this whole track of following Jesus, how do we avoid these voices, not listen to the voices that are voices of lies? How do we do that? Well, the author says the key to this is habit number two, consistent fellowship. Look at this, verse 13. But he says, uh, encourage one another daily, that's consistent fellowship, so that, into the verse, so that none of you may be hardened by sins and sinfulness. How do you avoid it? Consistent fellowship, habit number two. Let's look at another verse. Uh, go to chapter 10, chapter, uh, verse 23. Now, you remember the theme there. These are uh, Christians uh, being tempted to give up their faith to avoid the persecution. They are being tempted to swerve and get off track spiritually. You ever done that thing? You're driving down the road and all of a sudden something scares you, you, think you and you swerve, right? Of course, the danger of swerving is you might end up in the ditch. You might lose control. These are Christians who are in danger of swerving. And so he says in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. What's the hope we profess? It's the future that Jesus has promised us. For he who promised is faithful. He says, guys, I know it's a hard time right now. I know it's hard following Jesus. I know those around you giving you a hard time and persecuting you. I know it's tough, but you got to hang in there because the future is bright. I promise you'll be worth it. Jesus is faithful. You can trust him. Verse 24 He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on. I love that phrase. He says, we need to really think about this. Instead of swerving and getting off the track, we need to really think about how we can spur one another on. Like a champion jockey on a champion racehorse who is spurring the horse on to its full potential and to win the race. He says, we need to be like champion jockeys in each other's lives, spurring each other on. But it's not to win a race or to win a bet. It's to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, to be the people that God's called us to do. Now look at verse 25. He says, now, to do that, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Habit number two. He says, there's some of you there who you're starting because of this persecution to stop meeting together. You're not getting together for big church. You're not getting together in your small groups. You're not encouraging each other daily like we saw back in chapter 3. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are is in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. See, there it is there again. And all the more as you see the day of Jesus, the second coming, approaching. Okay. So he says, we, we need to not swerve if we're going to stay on track spiritually Instead, we need to spur each other on 
And he says the key to that is meeting. He said, don't give up the habit of meeting. I tell you something. That one of the first steps of spiritual danger in our life is often giving up the habit of meeting. In fact, when you see someone go bad spiritually, and I've seen this happen over and over again, you see a strong believer go far from God, and often you trace it back, where did it start? More often than not, it started, they stopped meeting. Now, now it could be a a lot of reasons. Uh, Sometimes it's just life's busyness, just so busy. It's just hard to get to church this weekend, or it's so busy, hard to be in a small group. I don't have time. It can be busyness. Sometimes it can be workload. You know, just our workload is so crazy or whatever. Sometimes it can be um, recreational things. You know, it can be, hey, well, we'll get a new motor home to spend time with the family, which can be a cool thing, obviously. But now we're, on the, we're out in the desert with our toys every weekend. And it's like, well, you know, we've got to get our, keep our family together. And so, yeah, the kids aren't, they're not in their youth group and stuff. But, you know, I think they're doing okay. And, you know, we're doing all right. Or it's the cabin in the mountains or, or the yacht or, or whatever. And by the way, if you have a yacht, let me know. Um, <laughs> because occasionally I'm not here on a weekend. And I, you know, I just, uh, um, sometimes, here, here's a big one. That have you ever noticed if you start walking away from God in an area of disobedience in your life, how coming to church makes you a little uncomfortable? It's sort of like that darkness and light thing, how the darkness hates the light. And it's just like, well, I think I'll just skip this week, you know. I, just, I don't feel like being convicted today, you know. Except we don't really say that to ourselves. We just don't go, well, I'm busy. I'll catch it next week. Um, here's what. Uh, some of you, I'm sure some of you experienced this one. You were burned in a bad church experience. My heart always goes out to people like this. You've been burned in a bad church experience. You trusted leadership. They let you down for the seventh time or whatever. And so it's kind of like, like, now it's just like you're really skittish on, well, I'll go maybe every once in a while sit in the back row, but, but I, I, I just don't want to trust again, you know. I, I, can anyone be trusted? Any leaders be trusted? I mean, this whole thing is so hypocritical. And, and so we get burned, and so we, we pull back. Uh, sometimes it can be you move to a new area, you just... You can't find a church like your old church, and so pretty soon you find yourself not going to church. So there's a lot of reasons why it can happen, but here's what I'm saying. Mark my words. Mark my words that one of the first steps to going bad, swerving spiritually, is often the first step is inconsistent fellowship. It's breaking habit, number two. And, and underneath all these reasons is there's an assumption. And here's the assumption. It's real important. When we stop making fellowship a top habit in our life, it's always based on an assumption, whether we're aware or not, that although we may agree that fellowship, consistent fellowship, is a really good and important thing, the assumption is it is not an essential thing. This is good and I'll grow and this will be good for me and so on. Yes, I should be there. I know I should be there and I should be more consistent. Yeah, I know that. But underneath there's this assumption that if I don't have consistent fellowship, I'll be okay. Oh, and we're just wrong. We're just wrong. Have you ever, I I love sitting by a campfire. You know, I go trout fishing, do this. Uh, Or going by the beach and, you know, have a campfire at night. And and if you ever built a fire, you know, you kind of build it a certain way. But then you always built it so there's space and it's kind of stacked up a certain way. You got all stacked up and the fire burns. And it's just, I love being by a fire at night. I usually have a headlamp on, I'm reading. And, uh, talking to friends or something. 
I just love watching a fire. Fire's an amazing thing. <laughs> we got reminded of that recently. Um, and, uh, um, uh, but that's really not like a campfire. <laughs> that was something bigger. But um, I, I like it in a smaller version. It's my preference. Yeah, contained. Yeah, fireplace, you know, fire pit. Um, not outside my office window. But... Uh, but I love watching a fire. But if you've ever watched a fire for any length of time, I'm sure you've seen this happen, where all of a sudden, at a certain point, the fire's been burning quite a while. It collapses on itself. It just burns down, collapses on itself. And for the, for the logs in the middle, that's really fine because they're just hotter and warmer now. But for the logs on the outside, there's almost always one log that just is the loser of the day. And, and this log rolls away. It rolls away from the rest of the fire. It just kind of hang out by itself, you know. And the poor log is like, guys, I'm over here. You know, it just can't really help itself. If you ever watch that poor log, you watch what happens to that log? It begins to die, doesn't it? I mean, the thing can't stay hot by itself. Have you tried to light a fire with one log? It doesn't work. You need at least two. Get this thing going. You see, that's the way our spiritual life is. We are designed to be in fellowship. And when we are not in fellowship, we are like that log that rolls over and we slowly burn out. The fire goes out of our life. Now, I got an email this last week from uh, a lady here at Rocky Peak. It was in response to last week's message was on habit number one, pleasing God as her top priority. I asked her if I could read it and she said no, but (laughs) she's not here. Um... (laughs) She, she comes to the next service. Um, <laughs> no, she, she told me I could. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Mike, wow, I love the Lion of Judah banners. It's the Lion of Judah, I guess. Um, I, I didn't know that, but I'm glad she loved it. Um, and, and she said, I also love the message. Yes, it's all about surrendering and submitting. And then she puts in all caps, and accountability. She said, I desperately needed that in my past, and I was aware of it, but I never really sought it out. I should write a paper on it, that and shame. You sin, then you go through the shame. You go to church, you get blessed, you live life loving the Lord, but you're not really committed to a body of believers. Unplugged, you're vulnerable. You have no real sounding board. You make decisions based on your feelings. And before you know it, bam, you've fallen again. And then the shame cycle starts all over again. Well, I can't tell you how much I love my small group. She has a leader's name as the leader and his wife and how she likes her. Participating in a small group has brought me healing. I could go on and on, but I'll stop. You get the gist. Then she goes on and talks about what's going on in Rocky Peak and what God's doing here and all. You can see why I asked her to share. It's a perfect illustration, isn't it? We think we can do it on our own, and then bam! We find ourselves swerving in a ditch and say, how did we get here? All right. The last month, we did a series called Doing Life Together, a fresh look at the ancient church. We talked about, we talked about big church and small groups, why they're so important. We won't talk about that a lot again. But I just want to remind you, big church is, is great because big church is, is really good for two things especially. It's great for worship, and it's great for large group teaching like this, where you can really dive into the Word together. And, and that's why big church is so important. Of course, there's other things that happen, but those two things are particularly important. 
Small groups, they're important. Why? Because relationship can't happen really here on the weekend. It doesn't really happen here a lot, for the most part. It's not about that. For relationship to happen, to get that logs burning together thing, you need a smaller setting. You need the small group. So people who enter the, co- the company that commit it, Remember I said that at the end of this series, you're going to have the chance to decide whether you want to join the company that committed. This, this series is not an academic exercise. We're not just going through seven weeks and, okay, that was good. Let's move on. This is preparing us as a congregation for some decisions we need to make. Are we going to be a healthy church? Do we want to be a healthy church? Are we willing to take the steps it will take to be a healthy church? At the end of this series, you'll have a chance to sign your name publicly and say, yes, I want to do this. I've prayed about it. I've thought about it. I think God's called me to do this. I want to be part of this. So what is habit number two? What's a commitment? It's basically a person who says, okay, Mike, I'm with you. I look in the word of God. I see what you're saying. It's impossible to become like Jesus on my own. I need fellowship. I will be here on the weekend services unless there's a reason not to be. I'm traveling around town or something, you know, very unusual happening, but I will be here. And I'm going to search out some kind of small group experience, whether it's a life group or an accountability group or meeting with one friend to read the scriptures or pray together each week or something like that. But uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to do that. So that's what it means to join the company. But like I said at the top, um, joining a small group or be, coming to church on a regular basis is not necessarily going to guarantee that we're going to grow There are some small groups, you won't really grow much by being in them. There are some uh, big church experience, you can go and come out more discouraged than you went in. It's not going to spur you on. It's going to cool you off. And so what do we look for in a big church? What do we look for in a small group? Let's talk about that, okay? Let's turn the page. What to look for in a big church? Three important questions. Obviously, there's more than three. For example, if you have kids, if I have kids in junior high or high school, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be at a place where they have a ministry reaching out to my kids. Uh, I'll go to a church I hate if, if it's what my kids need to grow at that critical time in their life. So th- there are times where there's more than these three questions. I'm not trying to say these are the only three, but these are three critical ones. And as we talk about what to look for in a big church, I want to say this as we start. I mean, obviously, a lot of you have already chosen Rocky Peak as your, your church, you know. And, uh, uh, of course, we're glad about that. We're happy about it. We're glad you're here. Um, but there are, I'm sure, many here that are kind of new, and you're trying to decide whether to make Rocky Peak your church home. There are others here, you may have been here for a long time, you're trying to decide whether to stay. <laughs> there may be others here, probably most of us here in this room, will at some point in our life have to move and move to a different area, whether we want to or not. And when that happens, we have to decide what to look for in a church. And so I want to talk a little bit about what to look for um, in a big church experience. And it's one of the most important spiritual decisions we ever make in life. We often underestimate this. We often assume we can just find a good church experience. I talk to people, I've seen this over the years, they're going to move to another part of the country, and I'll say, well, you've really thought this through. Yes, we've thought it through. We, we flew back there. We checked out the housing, and uh, we, we like that. And we checked out the schools. It's a nice community. And I'll say, well, what about the churches? Yeah, we're going to look for something once we get there. Oh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. The most important decision when we're making a move is what's the spiritual climate of where we're moving? Are we moving our kids to Sodom? (laughs) Uh, What's going on there? What's the body of Christ doing there? Are are they growing? Is there a place you can plug in? 
the place you can get good fellowship on the weekends and good small group interaction? Can you grow there? So many times we underestimate this. We just assume that it doesn't really matter. We'll just go to some church somewhere and we'll grow. Can I tell you, it doesn't work that way. I've watched this over my life. I've watched people who are not growing with Jesus, haven't grown in a long time, and they make a move of some sort for some reason, and they get into a good church, and they begin to grow. And I've watched people who are growing with Jesus move to someplace where they can't find a good church, and I watch them begin to shrivel. We are much more like plants than we realize. I've been forced to do some gardening in my life. It's not my calling. It's not my gift. It's a calling, but, but maybe not my calling. It's a family calling. And you know, a few years ago, I did this huge gardening, English garden thing, and one of the things I learned in the process that I never really knew, I never realized how vulnerable plants are. I never realized how the environment of a plant determines how it's going to grow. You take the same plant, you put it in one environment with the right amount of sun, the right amount of water, the right amount of ingredients, the right amount of soil, and it thrives. You take that same plant, you put it over here in a place where there's no ingredients, bad sh- not a right sunlight, not a uh, right amount of water, no nutrients, and the thing dies. Same plant. You know what? We're a, light, a lot like this. You plant us in a group of growing Christians, guess what? You're going to grow. I plant you in a group of people who are the church of Laodicea, like we studied last weekend, guess what? Your fire is going to go out unless there's a major repentance that goes on there. You see? And so this question of what church you choose is one of the most important spiritual decisions you will ever make in your life. So let's talk about what to look for. Number one, the first thing I'd say to look for is are you challenged by the teaching? One of the things that happens in big church is there's teaching like we're doing today. The question is, are you challenged by it? Do you routinely go out challenged, growing, learning, stimulated, maybe rebuked? But there's growth happening in your life as a result of the teaching. If it's not, maybe it's not the place for you. Because I'll tell you what, the Bible is so clear on this, that we are born again by the word of God that we are set free by the word of God, that we mature and become like Jesus through the word of God. So what happens if you're in a place where the word is not being taught in a way that you can take it in? You're not going to be growing. You're not going to be setting free. It's just, it's so important. You know, in the Bible, it also says that God has given to the church gifted teachers, and their job is to prepare the congregation for works of service. That's what Ephesians 4 says. And so if you're in a place where there's not gifted teaching going on, people ask me sometimes, do you think I should change churches? My first question is, are you growing? If you're not growing, life is too short. You know, it's too short to stay where you are if you're not growing. And number two, the second question, do you connect with God in the worship? Now, I realize that this is, uh, this is a little tough because sometimes it's hard to find a church that, hey, you find the teaching just what you want, you find the worship just what you want. Sometimes you've got to make compromises. I understand that and on. It's a hard thing because worship's so subjective, but it's really important. One of the things we do in big church is worship. That's one of the things we do well. And so whenever possible, you want to look for a church where you connect with God in the worship. Now, a couple sub-questions here, okay? When I'm thinking through this, a couple of sub-questions come to mind. Just, there's no spot for them. They just write them in. Number one, is the worship participation-based or performance-based? 
One of the things when I go to a church and evaluate a church is I want to ask the question, is this church, when they do worship, is it about participation or is it about performance? You know the difference? Sometimes it can be subtle, but you can go to some churches and what's happening on the stage is sending out a message, we're here to perform for you. We're going to be excellent, we're going to be really good. We'd like you to watch and enjoy the show. If you want to sing along a little bit, that's great. But we're really here to sort of perform. That's not a good thing. Worship is participation. Worship is about you coming for your creator and releasing back to him your praise and your thanks and your adoration and giving him your life. It's about you and God one-on-one coming together with all the rest of the body and saying, here we are. We're here for you. That's what it's about. And so you can, you can see this sometimes. When I'm looking and evaluating a church, one of the things I look for, are those people on stage, are they looking at me or are they looking at God? Have you ever been driving in a car with someone, could be your spouse or a friend, and all of a sudden they just kind of, you know, you're driving along, they just kind of do one of these. What do you do? You go like that too, right? Because there's something happening over there. They think it's worthwhile looking at. Chances are you will too. And so you just follow their glance. They don't have to say, wow, look at that. They just have to look. In fact, something's just irritating to me. Driving along, my wife just looks at something. I look and there's nothing there. It's like, what are you, are you messing with me? You know, it's like, not a funny joke. You know, I expect to see something when I look over there. Have you ever noticed that worship is the same way? When people on stage are eyes up, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, they're focused. They're, you know, the number one job of a worship team is to worship. <laughs> and when a worship team is worshiping, their eyes are up, whether metaphorically or literally. Well, guess what? It's like someone looking at the car. You look at them. They're not looking at you. They're looking up. And so you go, what are you looking at? Right? And this is what happens when worship is going well, is that those on stage, they're looking up. The congregation looks and goes, oh, we're supposed to be looking up. And, and the whole place is looking up, eyes up. There are other places where you go and worship's all about the performance. And when you look at them, they're looking at you. Well, when someone's looking at you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to look back. Let's still look up. What happens when we're having a conversation? You look at me and I go, <laughs> catch my eye again. It'd be weird. That's not how it works. And so is, is, it, is it participation-based or is it performance-based? Here's a second sub-question. Does the style fit you? Now, I realize this is very subjective and uh, there's a lot of different styles. And all I'm saying is that whenever possible, if you can, choose a place where the style fits you. Because it's harder to worship God if the style doesn't fit you, you know? If it's not your, your native tongue, so to speak, uh, worship-wise. This is harder, isn't it? Now you can, can you do it? Yes. Can you worship God to music you hate? Yes. But you know, it's a little harder, isn't it? By the way, that's one of the reasons here at Rocky Peak, as Elder Board, we're really looking seriously at this whole thing of considering doing video venues. Uh, you know, that would be alternate services going on the same time as these services. They would have different styles of worship in them. And you'd kind of huge screen, you know, digital, you'd, you'd get the same message. But it's funny, I've talked to some of you and you've said, well, why would anyone want to do that? If you've got a live thing, why would you ever want to go watch it on video? And I just go, just, just trust me. 
Yeah, it's like, it's amazing. You watch people. I, I felt the same way, but it's amazing how you go in and within about five minutes you forgot. It's not even, it's not live. And pretty soon, whoever's speaking is asking questions. You're raising your hand. It's like, I want to say, hey, he can't see you. It's, remember, it's video. Um, it's not for everybody, but it's, it's a powerful tool. And one of the things I love about it is it allows the whole church to have the same message and be growing in the word together and our life groups together. And yet at the same time, you get to worship in your native tongue. You know? So we're, we're continuing to pray about that. Number three, third question. Is do you respect the leadership? A very important question. Um, and by this, I mean, there kind of, there's a lot of levels of leadership in a, in a church. But I think this especially starts with the teaching pastors, whoever the teaching pastors are, because those are the people that are going to be teaching the Word of God and teaching you how to live. This is how to do it. This is what the Word of God says. This is how you're supposed to live. Now, if you don't respect those people who are in that role, you know, for whatever reason, you don't think they're any good, uh, you don't think they're competent, maybe you question their integrity, um, you don't think they're real, they're kind of fakey, you're not sure that the same person away from the pulpit they are in the pulpit, whatever the reason is, if you don't respect them, it's going to be very hard for you to learn and grow and change in that environment. Because every time they challenge you to change in an area that you're not comfortable with, guess what? You're going to say, well, what do they know? And so you're never going to change. And Because when, when they agree with you, you're going to say, finally, they got one right. And when you disagree, you're going to say, what do they know? You're going to roll your eyes. And you see, and so we need to be in a place where you respect the leadership because otherwise your heart's not open to change and grow and to say, maybe I need to rethink this, you know, and wow, maybe, okay, maybe God could be calling me to do something different, so on. Okay, so that's, that's some questions for uh, a large church experience. Let's talk about what to look for in a small group. Three things. Number one, first question, is it committed to growth? In other words, when these people get together, when you get together with these people, are, are you really there to grow or are you just there to hang out? Now, there's nothing wrong with hanging out with friends. That's a great thing. But it's not the purpose of a small group experience. The purpose of a small group experience is to become like Jesus, to be helping each other, iron sharpening iron. And this is so important because spiritual growth is contagious. Um, if you want to grow, get around growing people. If you want to die, get around dying people. There in your note sheet, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, a verse we've looked at more than once, is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Here's your question. In your small group, men, are there other men in your small group, whether it's mixed group or just men, but are there other men who are sharpening you? you, you go, I, I got a call the other day from a friend here at Rocky Peak. I was talking on the phone to him, and he was sharing about um, some people that he's trying to influence for Christ and some really cool things that are going on in their life. So he can watch them kind of make that journey from far from God to moving closer. And I had to stop him about halfway through. And said, can I tell you something? He said, yeah. I said, you sharpen me. Every time I'm on the phone with you, I get sharper. Because your passion for Christ and your passion to reach people who don't know Jesus is such a challenge to me you see, you sharpen me. I need that in my life. I need people who are sharpening me. You need people who are sharpening you. When you get together in a small group, you want people who are there to get sharp. 
you, you, wanna, you don't want to hang out with people who are really fine being dull. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm dull. I'm blunt for Jesus, and I'm just good with that. You know? <laughs> Think of me like a square. You know, just boom. I'm, I'm more like a, you know, sledgehammer than sharp. Um, look at the next verse, Proverbs 13:20. He who walks with the wise grows wise. You want to get smarter in life? Hang out with smart people. But a, a companion of fools, well, you're going to pay a price. You're going to pay a price. You hang out with fools, you're going to pay a price. So the people that you hang out with in your small group, are they growing? In particular, here's one, are the leaders of that group growing? A lot of you are life group leaders. A lot of you are life group hosts. You lead in other capacities. I rarely see a group that outgrows their leadership. A life group leader, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You can come to your group and say, hey, we're really struggling in our marriage. Would you pray for us? I can't seem to get this thing down. That's cool. No, but you've got to be a growing person. <laughs> you've got to be a person who's asking the right questions. You see? Because if you're not asking the right questions in life, guess what? Your group is going to be blunt like you are. You see? And so we need to grow together. I remember one of my best small group experiences I ever had was uh, young in life. Uh, I was into my high school years, beginning of college years, went on for a couple summers to come home from college or whatever. We get together, about 12, 14 of us. It was at a local park, a huge park. The leader would every morning, he'd put on his Volkswagen bug. He would put uh, the scripture for the day. It'd usually be a short New Testament book like uh, Ephesians or Colossians. Philippians, something like that, the whole book. Uh, so if it was a longer book, we'd take two or three days to do it. And we'd meet together every morning um, during the week, uh, Monday through Friday at this huge park. We didn't have to be to work. None of us had to be to work until about 9, so it worked out pretty well. We'd just meet at 6.30. And, uh, and so we'd, we'd get there. We'd go to his bug. Uh, we'd see the assignment for the day. We'd go out and find a place by ourselves in this huge park. For an hour, we would just read that word. Our, our job was to read through the word and see what God would say. Try to figure it out. What's it say? What's it mean? Uh, mark it up. Cross-reference it with other things we've been reading the day before or whatever. We're also supposed to read Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest. Supposed to read that together. And then after an hour of on our own, kind of reading the word together, we'd come together, the 12, 14, or how many were that a day, and we'd just share, what'd you learn? What's happening? What, what, what did you learn from that? What, and can I tell you, it was the most, one of the most powerful small group experiences I ever had in my life. And you know why? It's because the people there were there to become like Jesus. And they were coming with an open heart saying, God, would you speak to me through your word? Will you show me how to do this thing called the Christian life? I want to follow you. Show me how. And God was showing them stuff, and they were bringing it together, and we were like iron sharpening iron, you see? So that's, that's question number one, is are the people in your group, do they want to grow? I've been in groups before. It's not that way. The best thing I did was make the decision to change groups because it wasn't going to happen there. Number two, what's the primary purpose of the group? Now, let me say this. There's a lot of good reasons to get together in groups. There's a lot of different good kinds of groups that are great. I want to be really clear on this. Um, there are like fellowship groups. The primary reason you get together is just to hang out with friends and you know, have a good time. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's the primary purpose of the group. Uh, some groups are real study-oriented. Super deep study, you know, like, for example, my wife has been in Bible study fellowship twice the legal limit. There's, uh, in Bible study fellowship, you know, there's a limit, seven years. She's been in 15. 
And, uh, and so that's been a great, uh, you know, time for her. But uh, it's Bible study fellowship is really what it's really best at. It does some other things. It's really best at content. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? And so it's not real super relational, you know, but it's, it's designed to help you teach the word. It's been a great thing for her. But it's not really, you know, designed to be uh, transformation-oriented. Uh, service groups. You can get together and a bunch of guys are going to go fix a single mom's uh, house who's broken down. And they get together and pray together before they go. And then they go and they do that or a missions you know, thing or something like that. And those are great things. Those are all great things. But that's not what I'm talking about, about consistent fellowship, Okay. We talk about consistent fellowship, number two, habit number two. It's about gathering together for the, where the primary purpose is transformation. That's what, that's what we're learning. To become like Jesus. What are you learning? What am I learning? How can we help each other grow? That's the primary purpose. Number three. The third question is, it, is, is it real and safe? If we're going to grow and be transformed, we have to find a group that's real and safe. In other words, people are honest. They're not pretending. They're not being hypocritical. They're willing to share the real stuff of life. Now, obviously, this takes time to build in this vulnerability. It doesn't happen for day one of the group. I get that. But that this is not a group where we all show up and go, how's it going? Praise the Lord. All life is great. You know, when life is really falling apart. That we build a trust and we're able to be real with one another, share the real stuff, and it's safe. The stuff you share in the group stays in the group. And here's another safety issue, that when you share where you're failing, there's not condemnation, but there's support and help. I'll tell you what, transformation happens in groups like that. Where you're coming together around God's word, and you're saying, here's the real stuff of my life. Here's where I'm winning. Here's where I'm losing. Here's where I get it. Here's where I don't. And that is met with, thanks for sharing. Let's grow together. Here's what's helped me. Let's pray and see if God will give us any answer to that. There in your note sheet, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Proverbs twenty nineteen: A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. If you've got a group that talks too much, find a new group. It's not safe. You can't share there. You can't grow there. Or talk to the group about it. Hey, group, you know, I shared this last week and I heard it over here. I'm not feeling real good about that. You know, what are we going to do about this? Okay. Let's wrap this thing up. The last section, habit number two, in company of the committed. What's it mean to be part of the company of the committed? Every week, we'll give you a new element, a new habit. This one is a habit that says, okay, I get it. I'm in. I will make coming to church each week a priority. Now, I realize that for many of you, it's already a habit. No big deal. You got this one down. Take the week off. You got it. But for many of you, that's not the case. I know this. You've just never gotten in the habit. Maybe you're new at following Jesus. Maybe you've known him for a long time. You've just never been. You kind of once a month, you come. You always think you should come more. But here's what I'm saying. It's not enough. You need to be here. You need to grow together. So people in the company say, I'm going to be here unless there's some good reason not to be, an unusual reason. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to the week and say, should I go to church this week? Yes, we don't ask that question. It's just like it's part of what we do. It's a habit. And, I'm, and, I'm going to, and you're going to pursue a way to get connected with other people in a smaller, growing relationship. So I've covered two habits. Habit number one, most important, pleasing God is our top priority. We're going to live for him. Number two, 
we're going to realize if we're going to live for him, we need to have consistent fellowship. We need to be together. I'm asking for a commitment today. That's going to come a few weeks from now. But now's your time to pray. Now's your time to think. Now's your time to talk about this in your life groups. And then the day I come, we'll decide whether we want to do this thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men and women who've come here to learn from you and to hear what your word would say, God. And we, just as a congregation, we want to be healthy. We want to be your church. We don't just want to be healthy. We want to take over the world. (laughs) We want to make a dent, a serious dent in this area. We want to help people who are far from God come to get to experience you for the first time. Lord, we want to take over this world. We know we're a small part, Lord, but we want to do our part. And so, Lord, as we go through this series, teach us how to be a healthy, vibrant, overcoming church. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we'll continue this on together as we uh, talk about what it means to be an overcoming church. You know, in the book of Revelation, that's Jesus' definition of a healthy church. He says, those who overcome, I'll give the right. He says it over and over again, the seven churches, those who overcome. And uh, that's what it's about, being an overcoming. We're not just here kind of hanging out in our little safe huddle from the world, you know. That's not what it's about. No, no, Jesus came to, to storm the gates of hell. And being a healthy church means we're going we're gonna to get healthy and bulk up so we can go out and do something, make a serious dent, right? So I hope you can be with us. May this be a week where God uh, reaches out to you in new ways. May it be a week where you reach out to God in new ways. May it be some time you get, get some time alone to think about these things. Make some new commitments between you and Him. Because I'm excited about where we're going as a church. But we can't go there one by one. We go there as one, you see. Maybe a week where um, you open your heart to God in new ways to speak to you, perhaps in ways He never has before. And then we'll come back next week to celebrate in worship what he's been doing in your week all life long, uh, all week long. God bless and I uh, will see you then.